It's not enough just to be the creative. And I've been telling any student that I, I, I teach, I tell them now, I'm like, it's just not enough to be a creative. You've got to really help the man upstairs follow the, the practices that they say they want to do. They say they want to promote, but they're still, still caught in a system. Because, listen, I've, I've had conversations with executives where they're like, well, this is what our demographic of black women have been watching on this, and we're going to keep feeding the beast. So you're actually just going to keep feeding the beast of these horrific representations of black life. Because the bottom line, it supports your, uh, the income. It supports the advertising dollars. I'm like, yo, we need to help rethink that and reshape that. I am Darnell Moore, and this is Being Seen. An in-depth exploration of culture's role in resolving the tensions between how we are seen and how we see ourselves. Focused on the gay and queer Black male experience, Being Seen is a space to explore culture with leading artists, writers, activists, and entertainers. If we create nuanced and accurate cultural portrayals of identity and experience, we have an opportunity to reduce stigma and change perception, impacting everything from HIV to institutional inequity. Two nights ago on June 6th, the beloved characters of the television show Pose appeared on screen for the last time. Without them, we are left with almost no representation on TV of people living with HIV. And when I say representation, I mean the three characters on the series. Three people representing the 1.2 million individuals who are living with HIV in America. Three opportunities to change perceptions of HIV and reduce stigma. Pose should not have had to bear this responsibility alone. No one story or one show can be a complete telling and it doesn't need to be. It should also not fall to a handful of creators, four to be exact, to create more than 25% of all LGBTQ characters. Shonda Rhimes, Greg Berlanti, Lena Waite, and Ryan Murphy. Say their names. But then let's add more. If you're in Hollywood making decisions, let's start measuring success by the perceptions we unravel and the stigma we challenge. And for those of us who watch, the audience, let's hold Hollywood and ourselves accountable. Tuning into something can be passive, but it doesn't have to be. We can mark that kind of consumption in new ways. Ask ourselves, how was this made? Who was it made by? Who does it serve? Who does it harm? And is it a story that pushes back on stereotypes, bias, and inequity? Without us, there are no television shows and no movies to be made. Our lives are a story's beginning, and our eyes are its end. And there is too much at stake not to demand more. This week, I'm sitting down with the award-winning actors, writers, directors, and producers, Anthony Hemingway, Brandon Goodman, and Coleman Domingo to talk about how entertainment can truly become a transformative tool for social change and reducing stigma. Award-winning actor, director, and writer, Coleman Domingo. I want to read something you said about George C. Wolf in an interview. Mm-hmm. You said he wanted to make sure that we also knew what was happening outside of that studio and in that rehearsal room 
that we knew that our lives were at stake. And that's also what we're wrestling with in the dialogue. Our lives are at stake. Our livelihoods are at stake. And it's absolutely indicative of what's been going on in America. And I wanted to start there because I think it's a powerful, powerful reminder. You be preaching. Coleman be preaching. You be giving us the word Mm -hmm. about the mattering of Black lives, right? Yeah. Both in media and outside of it. And when we start to think about the next generation, particularly young people who are targets of violence, not just by police, but all forms of violence, it becomes really important to think about the mattering of Black lives in media and outside of it. Talk a little bit about the power of representation in media, a Black representation in the media, and the impact that that can have on our young people. Wow, so you're just going to start off like that, huh? Okay, <laughs> we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna go in. Well, I have a lot to say about that. One is the statement that you read stems from the center of August Wilson, one of our greatest playwrights. And at the center of it, in these conversations and wrestling with who we are and our identity, I think that's why um, August Wilson is so profound because he writes what he hears and he hears his uncles and his aunts and his cousins and his fathers and his mothers and their needs and their wants and their dreams. And they're colloquial, they're elevated, they're academic. There's no monolithic experience of the African-American experience. It is truly true to who we are. And in his work in particular, everyone is sort of fighting to be seen. They're fighting for proper representation in all the colors of us. We don't have to be superheroes and gods and saints, but we can be, you know, gutta and rough around the edges and hood and all that. But we've got a sense of a clear sense of humanity and a clear sense of um, Mm -hmm. fighting these tropes that are set up for us not to win, to be honest. And I think that I've, I've actually, I know that I've been deep in the trenches and part of the fight of complex representations of African-American men. And it's very important so we can see who we are, we can identify that. I think where we are right now in our culture, we're still, we're, we're in a good place, but we're also in a difficult place because I think that there's pushback, always. I've been having a great learning curve as a producer over the last year when people keep saying, oh, we're looking for, you know, more great stories of representation. We want more black stories. And then here I am pitching black stories. Now, you know me, I pitch stories, I write stories, I create experiences about loving black people that are all the colors in the crayon box. And then I go and do some pitches and I'm not, I'm I'm telling you, they're like, oh, well, we want not those kind of black stories. I go, what kind of black stories do you want? They want more, you know, things that have been popular are power and P-Valley, which, I, you know, I think mm-hmm. great shows, but it does show a certain lens of the African-American experience. So that when I pitch a show just about a black family, just being black and just actually doing other things, and it's not about being black, it's almost foreign to them. They're like, well, where's the struggle? Where's the strife? They, we, I may, we may have conflict and everything as I think good television should or great films, but they want the black trauma. And I'm like, so mm. they want, if, I, if I'm telling an inner city story and it doesn't have drugs or uh, a white lens and what white people are doing to us, they almost don't know how to see it. <laughs> you know, so that's, so I think that there's a huge system 
that we're all fighting against. And sometimes Absolutely. my brothers and sisters fall into those traps of those tropes and promoting those. And I think whether we all know it or not, we've under, been under the blanket of white supremacy. And we just have to oh, yeah. decolonize our minds, our minds and what we're creating and what we're putting out there over and over again and really ask ourselves why. Why is that story important and what is the lens? Is this true to your experience or is it the lens that the way the world usually sees us? I have a lot to say about things, you know. <laughs> Listen, I'm here, like, I'm here, like, shaking my head, like, mm-hmm. It's through television and movies that we, in part, develop our conceptions of self. These shows and storylines help shape us. We form the contours of our senses of self, in part, by referencing the characters we see around us. They point us towards possibilities that we can inhabit in order to expand our visions of what's possible for ourselves and for those around us. Actor and writer, Brandon Goodman. Mm. I think it gave me, you know, especially like early on when we talk about like The Living Single and The Fresh Prince and, and Family Matters and, and the shows of that era, it gave me direction. Even though it wasn't quite me, even though they weren't queer characters, it gave me a direction and an aspiration where there otherwise wasn't mm. because I was going to predominantly white schools or, or mixed schools or whatever, but there wasn't an emphasis on blackness. There wasn't a, a celebration or a sacredness around blackness. And I would watch these shows and just feel so seen, like my humor made sense. It just, I, it just felt like I fit for those 30 minutes and I didn't have to translate anything. I didn't have to figure anything out. And that was so important. But then I think Lafayette specifically because the queer side of me was never quite represented, mm -hmm. right? And that's a big piece. Like, and the intersection of being black and queer mm -hmm. and what that means. And and before Lafayette, if I did see it, it was a joke, mm. right? These are brilliant actors, but men on film, for example, that portrayal of, of black queer men was kind of like, it was a joke. I mean, the joke was that they were like swishy and you're like, oh, this is what people think we are, and now you're fighting against your femininity because you're like, well, well, that clearly is a joke to people. And to see femininity embraced in Lafayette, it was suddenly like, oh, there's nothing to suppress here. Mm. There's nothing to shift here. Like, there's nothing that makes me less or more who I am. Like, I can just be. It's everyone else that's the problem. Listen. It's those white guys sitting at the table that's the problem, not me. And, and that scene, I remember that scene so, so clearly because I was like, oh... Lafayette, okay. That's a date right there. It's not just seeing someone who looks like you. It's the myriad of situations and ways and options for how we might show up in the world. It's the minutia, the conversations, the smallest of moments that make up the full picture of who we are. We navigate these moments in ourselves and with others using our references. And some of those references come from what we see on screen the way a parent expresses love, the body language after intimacy, the rituals of friendship. We don't need to show that which is perfect. We need to show that which is authentic, complex, and varied. Director and producer, Anthony Hemingway. Right, because yes, I can easily say that, that the portrayals and the representations through Hollywood and, and the art of storytelling influences many aspects of life. But just kind of briefly starting around just kind of the immediate space, there are so many aspects and levels that I think affect just 
kind of how we see ourselves um, that gives us examples or the lack thereof of how to deal with our issues or ourselves um, from school, from friendships, the church, so many different social aspects. But I think Hollywood in and of itself has not done the greatest at finding the, the, the right portrayals of representations through character and also stories that reflect and depict our full dimension. You know, mm -hmm. I, I for so long used to always say, I don't see myself on TV. You know, I, I, they perpetuate a stereotype um, and have done that for very long. But I think we are in such dire need of, of really representing the fullness of who we are. You know, I talk about this all the time with my husband, like, and, and, and he's an actor and, and, and it's just weird dying. And, and mind you, I'm looking for the opportunity to contribute to this, but I think we, we have not had the opportunity yet to, to see characters that live this experience that are just normal. We are transformed by the stories we tell, the way they are framed, the characters who get to be the heroes, and the one who gets to be the villains. If we transform our movies and TV shows into representations that are complex and inclusive, it means that we have decided that our entertainment should positively serve us, that it should work for us by creating change, by prioritizing Black lives, women's safety, gay and queer and trans love, and the dignity of people living with HIV. Brandon Goodman. What is the change that we need and what kind of stories can get us there? You know what it is? So there's this quote that I learned from Maya Angelou, but it's the Roman philosopher Terence, and it's, I am a human being, therefore nothing human can be alien to me. And this idea that like all of our stories, when they get put out, they have to do with our trauma. They have to do with our oppression. So whenever we get the chance to be at the forefront, it's always us in pain and people love it. I mean, look at the internet, look at social media. Like when we're in pain, oh my God, what can I do? They eat it up. Yes. Whether, whether it's good or bad, they eat it up. Mm -hmm. But when we're in joy, it's, it's then it's like, oh, that's a black movie. Oh, that's a black show. Like, and then it gets written off, right? It doesn't, we don't get the, the chance. And so like, I'm like, you know, where are our mother, son or mother, daughter or father, son stories that are just like, it's a road trip and like uh, they do some wacky shit and, and, you know, at the end of the day, they learn they really love each other. Like, where are those like simple stories that have nothing to do with, police brutality or slavery and not that those stories aren't relevant but we're it just we're just reduced to that and i think there are these these all these stories in between i think about like bridesmaids i think about clueless i think about uh, legally blonde all these ways that white people get to to play with as i say all the colors in the crayon box of humanity but for us if we're not making you laugh, we're not in your movie. Mm. and then if we are doing our thing over here it's just the black folk and i'm always like Whenever living single friends is always a thing. I'm like, I don't understand how like I had to understand friends, but y'all didn't have to understand living single. Right. Which obviously living single came first and friends is based off of living single, but you know, that's another that's another talk. But you know, like it's like this idea that like if you put black leads in it or if you put queer people in it, well, that's just for that community. But white people do something and we're all supposed to bow down and be like, Yes. <laughs> and so I think specifically the stories we need are all of them. As we call for change, we also need to recognize where it's happening. 
the allies we have in Hollywood, and the incredible gay and queer and trans and non-binary Black creators, producers above and below the lines are day by day, project by project, shifting the industry towards the possibility of realizing the radical power to create unstoppable change. What are some thoughts about Hollywood you think that the listeners, the watchers, the, the folk listening to this, the people who are watching TV and film, just may not know? You know, like there is the the Hollywood that we imagine and then the work, the working inside the system that people may not know about. What do you think people need to know about, particularly when it comes to gay and Black queer men, not only in the stories on the screen, but behind the scenes? Like, are Black gay queer men working in Hollywood? Are they creating? Are they below the line? Talk a little bit about representation in Hollywood, what people may not see, the names they may not know, um, people on screen, et cetera. We are out here. I'll say that. We are out here <laughs> far and wide. I'm continuing to meet other kings and soldiers and warriors out here that, that are out here repping the experience, the community, the culture, and continuing to look for opportunities that, that I think only continue to strengthen who we are that that help us love ourselves uh see ourselves and you know the representation and the visibility is is out there we're just continuing to you know i think just continuing to to open the doors and open the windows that way we can see in but what about us every single one of us who turns on our tvs open our streaming apps what power do we hold? Is there a place for activism inside our choices of what and where to watch? I do think it's important that we, uh, we're conscious of what we consume. It tells the world, it tells executives, it tells networks exactly what we're interested in. And I think even passively when we watch something, because we're sort of like, I know I've, I've fallen into it, like I'll hate watch something. But you're still giving people numbers and, and analytics that say that this matters. So we can make more of an active choice in what we want to see represented. I've never been a fan of being a passive watcher. I feel like we have to have engagement and talk about it. And we have to learn, especially with Black work, to truly critique it. And that's okay. I think a lot of times we just get absorbed by wanting the representation. They were like, you know, I'm good with that. No, I want it to be good, too. I know I have sidebar conversations over and over again with people like, that wasn't good, right? And they're like, no, it wasn't good. They're like, why are people talking like it's good? Because they wanted more of it, more to be there. I say, yeah, but I want it to be good. You know, and I want it to be excellent. I don't want to pander and have, and yeah, because if we say that that's our best, that's doing a disservice to everyone. So we have to be, have a, a bit more of an active responsibility in our television and film landscape and the theater. Yeah. I think that audience's responsibility is the same responsibility that a parent has when their kid comes home with their syllabus or curriculum. If my kid comes home with their syllabus for the English class and all the books are straight white men authors, mm -hmm. I have a responsibility to be like, oh, 
this seems a little weird. Uh, why are why are they only reading straight white men? Where's where's the Toni Morrison Come up on. in here? Where's the James Baldwin? That's my responsibility as a parent. I think the same is true as an audience to be like, okay, what are my top five shows? Are they all led by straight white dudes? Why is that? Yes. Right. My responsibility is to get curious about why I'm attracted to what I'm attracted to, and why haven't I tried Insecure? Why haven't I watched Lovecraft Country? Mm -hmm. And to diversify what I'm watching, we get greenlit when things are supported. Right. That's the whole thing. We're like Black Panther came out we would have seen it whether it was good or bad thankfully it was good but we were going to come out in droves because we were like in our garments we were going to come out <laughs> because we're like we're getting a black superhero yes. the only way we're going to keep getting this is if we show up and so that is part of the audience's responsibility but also to to be curious about what you're watching and how do you I the word diversify is getting so saturated but you know what I mean how do you yes, do. how do you expand mm -hmm. what what's coming on your TV how do you expand what you're exposing yourself to because it's such a TV and movies are such a safe way to get a really intimate look into the lives of people that you may never interact with yes. the lives of 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 how some people live or what their experiences, good or bad, are that you would never get the chance to. Yes. But we can't lose the fact that this is more than aspiration. This is a very question of our lives being at stake. That's why we need to hold people responsible, accountable for the stories they create and the stories they fund because those stories affect life. If Hollywood was like a person and personified as like a character, what would you say to it in this moment? What words of wisdom, of sage advice would you give to it? <laughs> I think I would tell Hollywood something that they haven't heard before, but I would reiterate that, you know, I think the inclusion of stereotypes of our experience and our people don't count towards so towards solving the issues that we are searching for. You know, we need to really find the true authentic voices and realness in our stories. Because I think when we perpetuate or when Hollywood continues to be culture vultures and, and do the wrong things and approach these, these stories incorrectly when they think they're doing a good thing, you know, it just further perpetuates the issues that we are, are and have for long been suffering from um, and are trying to heal and change. Inside entertainment lies a radical possibility. It is a business but it is also the landscape of our imaginations. There are few places where we can create in that way, build whole worlds, dream into being new kinds of relationships, model the things we wish were present for us every day within each of our specificities. Each story, each character lies something for us to understand about ourselves and about each other. Every story that includes someone living with HIV gives us the ability to see all people living with HIV in more complex ways, their multiplicities. And in seeing them, we see more of ourselves. Their freedom from tropes and stereotypes is our freedom. Expansion, autonomy, and nuance 
benefits all of us, from the Hollywood power broker to the person tuning in from their bedroom. Being Seen is produced by Harley and & Company and Darnell Moore and created in partnership with Vive Healthcare. Theme music is provided by Moses Sumney.